This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. A new survey on renters and landlords gives a detailed picture of the sector with rents up, but sentiment largely positive. What exactly is it saying? Research published this morning by the Residential Tenancies Board cite affordability and security of tenure amongst their top concerns. Plus, is the government's housing strategy fueling an anti-migrant politics? And a deal is reached at the UN Climate Summit saying the world must transition away from fossil fuels. But does the wording go far enough? We have the basis to make transformational change happen. survey from the Residential Tenancies Board suggests the rental market under severe pressure with a deep insecurity of tenure compounded by the lack of availability. Rents are getting higher, up by nearly a third. However, the proportion of their monthly income paid on rent has remained largely the same. The survey also found that only 3% of renters were negative about their current property. So what exactly is the current snapshot of the rental market and how should the government respond? Well, earlier today, both government and opposition were citing the findings to their own ends as Sinn Féin leader of the opposition raised the issue of evictions. Taoiseach, life in Ireland is hard for renters. Research published this morning by the Residential Tenancies Board cite affordability and security of tenure amongst their top concerns. It's what the survey shows today, and it's a detailed survey of renters and landlords it shows that 80% of tenants said that they were positive or very positive about renting their current property. 80% of private renters uh, saying that, Deputy. They said the median amount of rent that they spend was 30% of their net income. So that's 30% of their income after tax. <coughs> Academics say the affordability threshold is 35%. Well, joining me tonight are Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan, Social Democrats TD and spokesperson on housing Keen O'Callaghan, Dr Rory Hearn, lecturer in social policy at Maynooth University and by Business Post reporter Sarah McGuinness. We're also joined on Skype tonight by Kirsten Mell, Managing Director of Limerick Letting Agency, KMPM. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, we're getting sort of mixed messages, aren't we, on this RTB report today, or certainly how it's being received by the parties, Sarah. Um, what do you think is different about this latest rental report? Is there anything new in it or anything that may surprise people? Because we've been talking about the housing and rental crisis uh, for quite some time. 
Well, what I found kind of most fascinating is the kind of, I suppose, juxtaposition between the sentiment among renters and then the sentiment among landlords, because landlords are broadly unhappy. And as you mentioned, 83% of renters are saying, no, happy out, like, love where I'm living. Um, it's, it's kind of wild. But then also there are those underlying tones of like mass concern about, you know, like, a, like security of tenure. What would they do if they had to move? Like, would they be able to afford it? Um, there, and there's also still that desire to not want to be renting. The, um, the report into tenants cited that almost everyone who was asked wanted to buy a house. One in three said that they're renting because they can't buy a house, because they feel they can't buy a house. That's up 10%. In 2019, this research has been spanning about three years, 2019 and 2020, 14% of people said that they rented out of convenience, and that has skyrocketed. It's in the 50% now, so it's crazy. So, like, this clearly, people don't, people aren't really giving out about it. They might just be accepting it because they feel like they don't have a choice. On the other hand, small landlords, medium landlords, and large landlords, like, who are buying over, like, hundreds and thousands of houses and have, you know, a, a large fleet, they're desperately unhappy. 25, 27%, excuse me, of small landlords are saying, I might as well cut my losses. I could see myself selling up. A quarter of those have already started taking action medium landlords, it's in the 30%. Those small and medium landlords, so people who own between one and 20 properties, they account for four-fifths of what is a declining private rental supply. So for them to kind of be doubting whether or not this is secure for them, and they're all citing things that broadly are out of their control, like tax, profitability. Mm -hmm. They just don't see it as a secure tenure. Meanwhile, the largest landlords have claimed that Basically, they feel that legislation as is in the regulatory environment favours the tenant. And I suppose the tenants haven't really say, said anything to disagree in this scenario, yeah. although the sentiment might be there underlying. Okay. But they're kind of saying, like, Ireland just doesn't seem to be a viable housing market. It's problematic at the minute. And we'd be better off looking elsewhere. All right. OK, that's, uh, it's interesting. Um, I mean, we're hearing a lot from the other side. We're hearing a lot from the landlord side, it appears, in this report. Um, maybe painting a picture that isn't so black and white of unhappy tenants um, versus landlords who are taking in a lot of money here, Rory. Maybe, do you think it, it paints maybe a, a more complex picture of the situation that's out there right now? No, I don't actually, because I think that what, it's important to say that this is a research, it's an, a poll that was done of in the region of 1,200 tenants, um, and it includes detailed qualitative research. So it is important to say that it does give uh, a clear you know, insight into renters' experience. But I think you need to look at all the findings in this to then make a conclusion. And if we look at the research, while the Taoiseach said, you know, 80% of tenants say they're happy in their tenancy, the report also says that tenants are living in complete fear about what happens when that tenancy ends. They're living in anxiety. You know, the quotes are there. There's you know, this, the report states there are huge concerns about the lack of security and tenure. They describe a year-to-year -year cycle of dreading a letter from their landlord. You have no security. Everyone is just dreading getting a notice of termination. And I was really struck by one of the lines in the report where it said, renters refer to their place as a house and said this explicitly, they cannot make a home in the private rental sector because it's not secure and because it's not affordable. And when we look at the rents, like one in five of tenants are spending more than 
of their net income on rent. Yes, we heard from the Taoiseach and the Dáil today saying this 30% yeah, figure when he said when it reaches 35, yeah, when academics say, say we're in trouble. That's not actually true. In different, um, there's different assessments of what is considered affordable housing. For example, if you're on a low and medium income, 25% of your net income is considered affordable. If you're on a higher income bracket, then you can pay more of your income on rent. So academically, he's wrong on that. That's an average figure. Um, and I do think it's really important to point out that there was another figure in this which shows that most people's image of a renter is a young person or a young professional. 40% of households have children who are renting and they're living in complete insecurity. Mm -hmm. And also another figure was one in 10 tenants had damp or mould. Like these, these have severe implications right. for tenants. So I think the picture is, is, what it shows is that renters can't make a home in this country in the private rental sector. Okay, um, that's interesting about making a home. And I suppose even if it's, if, if it's a rental property, it is home for many thousands of people, Barry Cowan. Um, is the government serving them well? Yeah, look, there's, there's two elements to this, as both speakers have, have, have alluded to. The fact that 80% are reasonably happy in their location, in their rented accommodation, 30% of the income towards rent rather than the 35% threshold. But there's one third of those that are in rented accommodation that want to buy a home, don't feel they can, and that is the focus of governments, to provide the homes to increase supply, mm. to help first-time buyers. Much progress has been made. Has it been solved? No, it hasn't. Uh, yep. The different initiatives for different cohorts right. and first-time buyers is one thing. I personally think planning is a logjam that is okay. there presently. And we will get on to the availability of housing. We will get on to mm. that. But what uh, the opposition have seized on, and we'll hear from, from Kean in a moment, and what we've heard from Rory again, is this security of tenure, which is shown in the report about, you know, I, I'm happy, yes, 80% say they're happy renting, but everyone is yeah, dreading I, I, getting a notice of termination. Yeah, security of tenure is... is, is, is so is, what's being done crucial. about that? Because um, there has been bills being put forward by opposition and... Yeah, has anything I, I, been done in know, that regard by there, government? There has been you know, assistance in relation to the tax, tax situation for, for renters. Mm. I personally think you know, linking tax breaks for landlords to length of tenure is something that could be pursued. Obviously, the government parties haven't agreed on that in, in order to be in a position to present it. But I think it, was, it is something that Fianna Fáil would, would, be, would be leaning towards and it would be an individual policy of ours going into an election, I, I'd imagine. OK, so buying yeah. landlords off on that front. I don't say buying landlords. Well, you, I mean, you need, I mean, look, you need you, private I mean is it possible as a, as to introduce um, you know, basic tenancy rights um, without, I suppose, having to, to appease landlords? Or is that the challenge for government here? Said a lot of them have got out, a lot are getting out. Um, and that's something you have to be conscious of and to address too. And there has to be a supply that is available for the private rental market. And if that is an, an initiative that can appease landlords while also appeasing uh, tenants who have security of tenure right, right up to 20 years, of course, then it becomes a home and it becomes more settled mm -hmm. and it becomes more, more permanent. OK, well, Keane, something that is true to be said of this report is that, you know, landlords surveyed are very unhappy. Um, so how does that sit with, I suppose, the calls from your party for um, increased uh, supports and regulation around tenancies? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the key point in this is if you look at different European countries that have successful rental sectors, large rental sectors, in fact, the countries with the largest rental sectors like Switzerland, 52% of households are renting. In Switzerland and countries like Germany, where it's 48%, there's very good security of tenure for renters, as well as a lot of investment and a lot of landlords. So it is possible to have 
strong rental markets with lots of investment and good security for renters. The situation in most European countries is if you pay your rent, you cannot be evicted. So if a landlord's going to sell, for example, in most European countries, you simply pay your rent into a different bank account and you carry on with your life. Your kids stay in their school, they stay with their friends, in their sports clubs. Your life is not thrown into this massive disruption. We are an absolute outlier by having such low levels of security for renters. And in a lot of ways... We've you're got talking the, an essential eviction ban that's in place in other countries there. When, when yeah, the, 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 the norm is... tenure for 20 norm, years, obviously. No, the, the, nor the, the, the norm is no that. fault eviction. So you can only be evicted if you, you know, if you don't pay your rent. But it's if you're engaged in anti-social contract of long duration. No, the, the basic principle is if you pay your rent, you're not engaged in anti-social behaviour, you're not breaking your you lease agreement, you're not basing your, your lease, lease agreement. agreement. How long is your lease agreement? The terms of the, if you're not breaking the terms of your lease, yes. you know, in terms of whatever conditions well, they are, the by the way, you, you, treat, you have indefinite tenure as a renter in most European countries if you pay of your rent, duration. if you pay your rent on time. Mm -hmm. So we are an absolute out, outlier in that. And can I just say, the, this thing from the Taoiseach of, oh, most people are paying beneath the threshold, the... The absolute upper threshold for part of your income to spend on rent and utilities and bills is 35%. This is talking about rent only as 32.5%. Right. And in fact, in the survey, the reason a lot of the house, the, on average households are beneath that is because there's a, a lot getting happened and rent supplement support. If you take that out... So you believe that 30% right. figure um, that is being spent is far too much for somebody to have to spend? It's far, far too much for, monthly, for most, yeah. And because you have utilities and bills okay. on top of that and that puts, okay. puts you above um, what's considered Let's bring acceptable. in the view um, of the landlord on this. Um, we're joined by Kirsten Mell a letting agent based in Limerick. Um, your view of this report, I suppose what it's saying about uh, landlords appearing dissatisfied on the ground, is that the, is that the view in Limerick? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I can't speak for everyone in Limerick, but I've been doing this for 45 years and I manage um, over 1,100 properties currently. So I'm aware of the, the landlord's thinking and where they're coming from. Um, one of the ironies when I listen to um, the other contributors is the rental market up to the crash was simply about uh, temporary accommodation. That's basically what it provided. Temporary could be six months and it could be uh, two, three years. So the crash came, no housing built, um, social housing went over to the private rented sector, uh, no social housing built either. And basically, we now have a crisis. So the background is providing accommodation, affordable accommodation for people who wanted to buy. And suddenly, the whipping boy was the private rented sector and the landlord. If you were to ask me what the biggest problem in, and they're not going to say it in a survey, is landlords are sick of being the whipping boy for failure for state structural failure. Okay, you have the crash, which we couldn't foresee. But if you were to ask me where the state of the landlord is, if you, the introduction of the rent pressure zones was a total disaster. It has totally discommoded the market. You don't have a free market. Yeah. People are leaving the market in droves. I want to ask you, yeah, if you take issue with the cap and you think there's there's no point in caps, because I think it's very, that, that division is very, very evident, say, in Limerick City versus County. Um, 
so that landlords can adjust rent where they see fit. Where we have supply so low, what do you think the consequence of that's going to be? Yeah, you see, let's get back to the nub of it, right? When you had a free market and when um, people could adjust their rents according... See, land, most landlords didn't actually adjust their rent until the tenant left. That was the tradition. They, they weren't increasing the rent every month, every year or every two years. In actual fact, the first set of legislation by Alan Kelly was um, willing, you can't increase the rent every two years. That was sending a signal to the, the landlords, well, you should be increasing the rent every two years. So you had all cross messages. But what it has done, and I'm saying what it's done to the market, and that's what we're really talking about. What it's done to the market is landlords caught in the rent pressure zone are extremely unhappy. Landlords outside the pressure zone, in other words, who bought a property that was either owner-occupied or was a new property, didn't yet fall into the, the, the rent cap category until it was first rented. They're making possibly 100% more than the guy across the road okay. who was so you want, capped. You want the guy across the road to make 100% more and then landlords are happy? No, 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 you're missing my point. The supply keeps decreasing... The demand keeps increasing and the end result is we have a total dislocation of the market. And that is the kernel of the rental market problem. All right. right? I want to bring the panel back in on this. Rory, um, your view on that, um, you know, Kirsten saying that uh, basically landlords have been whipping boy for the government on this who haven't sorted out a housing policy. And the fallout is that landlords are deeply unhappy at the situation that is there now. Nobody is happy in this particular crisis. Well, landlords can't really talk about being whipping boys when it wasn't fairies that increased the rents by 100% over the last decade. It was landlords, individual landlords, who increased the rent way beyond inflation, way beyond wage increases. There is huge greed out there amongst landlords. We look at the levels of evictions going on. Um, one in 10 of every rental household has been served a notice to quit in the last three years alone. 30,000 households serve notice to quits. Um, and in some respects, though, I do agree with what he said, which is that landlords have been placed with the responsibility for social housing in the housing assistance payment. And this is where both Barry's uh, government and party, and not to make this political, but you know, when we look over the last 30 years, Government, successive government, stopped building social housing and they handed it to landlords. They shifted social housing into rent yeah. supplement the housing. And this is very significant because it essentially privatised and outsourced what is a government responsibility onto the market. All right, can I get Barry back in on that? Um, and it's an argument that you've put forward um, time and again, Rory, on this whole issue that it's, you know, the lack, of, I suppose, of the state coming in and sorting out the problem. Um, that, that's, that's at the nub of this. Yeah, well, look, you know, I can only speak for this government's work and this government's well, you effort. Well, you have to speak a little bit and, more than this and, government. Like, well, I because can tell you, I was elected in 2011. Now, it looks like you want to have an argument about the past or do you want to deal with the issue today and into the future? I was elected in 2011. At that time, there was an economic crash. There wasn't the funds available to build the sort of housing you would like to have seen built uh, as there was in years previously. And it's only, it's only in the last three to four years, to be quite honest, since Fianna Fáil came into office, 
that we've seen the scale of building that is commensurate to the need and the commitments that have been made in relation to the, the targets that have so been set. So why all the so buy-to-lets? Well, I mean, look, there's no doubt the pressure came on the private rental sector to take a burden on, of society. We accept that, you know, trying to address that. And by virtue of increasing supply, by virtue of then dealing with the issues that landlords and tenants are faced with in, in, in a way in which appeases that sector, while you're building up and ramping up the production and, right. and the, the, of, of housing. Like 100,000 the last number of years, you know, 42,000 uh, yeah. new, new... Look, there's still new very, very, sorry, 60%, 60% of the new there. supply in the Dublin region, the entire four local authorities, 60% is investor fund, bill to rent, unaffordable well, supply. So well, when you I talk about supply, yeah. it's the wrong supply. But I talk about supply, 22,000 uh, housing units held up in, in judicial reviews over the last number of years. But, that, but that, answer that, that's the a problem in relation to built. supply, in relation to planning, that has to be addressed. You can't have 1,200 judicial reviews ongoing and holding up the provision of 22 houses in one, in one year. That but if the supply is you the mean, wrong supply, it's actually worsening the crisis. Because you're but like new developments are charging three thousand a month for a two-bedroom apartment. Yeah, but I mean, forty-two thousand um, help-to-buy schemes—they're—they're they're not helping. There are people getting out of rental pressures, moving into their own home. That's what. That's what. That's that's the hundred thousand houses that are being built. It doesn't answer the majority the of housing being built. New cost rental schemes. Their means by which, which have we solved? Only... But I mean, I mean, have we solved this crisis? Of course we haven't solved this crisis. Are we making but progress? Yes. Is there more progress to be made? Yes. Yeah. Is the problem in relation to planning? That's a big problem. There was 12 That's billion surplus in the budget. In the short term, I just want to bring it back to where we're at. And in, in the short term, um, Keanu Callaghan, you'd like to see, I mean, where do you stand on the, the eviction ban now that was lifted back in March? Is that something that you'd like to see reimposed? I mean, when we see record homeless figures, do you have a view on that? What's your party's take? Well, I mean, not only should we reimpose, we should be doing what's done in most European countries where the norm is no-fault evictions right. and actually temporary bans wouldn't even be discussed in other European countries because this is what they are doing permanently. You pay your rent, you cannot be evicted. And that is effective then in terms of reducing the number of people becoming homeless. We have a record number of people who are homeless now, more than 4,000 children as we approach Christmas living in emergency accommodation, 190 pensioners. And at the same time, hundreds of millions of euro allocated by this government to build social homes has been left unspent. I mean, how could you do that when we have a situation of record numbers of people uh, growing up uh, without a home? Um, uh, Sarah, just um, to ask you about the eviction ban, because it's something that was again um, brought up today. I guess it's all, all, always very pointed when it comes to point, you know, close to Christmas and we talk about homeless people, we talk about families in very dire situations. Um, what's the political take on that now? Because, you know, from a government point of view, they did lift it back in March. They promised a load of measures to come through to help uh, tenants and keep people in situ. Uh, will there be renewed pressure on them to do something around this? I think the RTB report today is not nearly as damning as the one that was released on, on the 30th of November, which actually went through how rents are e increasing and went through how even though rent pressure zones are in every city in Ireland and even though they're being expanded to other areas, they're still not working. The amount you pay in rent for new tenants, if you're entering a new tenancy, it's over €1,000 in 19 counties. It's 11% up this year. That's supposed to be a 2% cap. I think that politically speaking, you know, this was quite a, not a soft touch report, but also like I, I, do, I don't really, to be honest, I'd say that 
opposition parties will be pulling that out of their arsenal because everyone has to think that we're coming into a general election. And we have seen in the aftermath of last week's no confidence vote, Sinn Féin are going back to their bread and butter of housing. They, that is what works and that is what's effective, particularly, as Keane said, of all those points in the run-up to Christmas. This is a contentious issue. Kirsten. Uh- hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, if you're still there with us, talk of a lifting an eviction ban. Um, I take it that's something that you would uh, strongly worry about. But, you know, what, what were the unintended consequences in Limerick of that? Oh, that was the ultimate. I mean, talk about stupidity from the point of view of undermining any landlord's confidence in the market. Most landlords go in, they buy, they rent for a set period. You know, they don't have the end period exactly in their head, but they're talking about maybe going in for 5, 10, 15 years. When that ban was introduced, it automatically sent a signal to every single landlord in the country who was listening. There's a lot of landlords having a clue what's going on, right? But those who were listening, we need to get out. That's what happened. Now, that was a temporary ban. I li- I'm listening with disbelief to the speaker when he's talking about Switzerland. He doesn't say the advantages to the landlords of renting in Switzerland. He doesn't say there's a tradition going back 50, 60 years ago, which is based on the taxation system. So in other words, their system is geared in favour of renting, not buying. All right. Okay. The Irish... Okay. So, like, but I'm, one thing I would say is... When you're talking about tenure, that's the end. Like, to the big landlords, that makes no difference. They're in it to rent forever. When you're talking about the mom-and-pop landlords, they're out the door. All right, OK. OK, I'm I'm afraid we're out of time on that. We'll have to leave um, that there. There's uh, much more, obviously, to discuss on this, but we're going to take a short break for now, but uh, more when we come back. So do stay with us. Welcome back. I'm still joined by my panellists, Barry Cowan, Keane O'Callaghan, Rory Hearn and Sarah McGuinness. 
Um, and I want to talk about a piece that Rory wrote in the Guardian newspaper this week. Uh, Ireland's housing crisis is a disaster for its people and a gift to far-right fearmongers. Um, that was a headline on that, that piece that you wrote, uh, Rory. They got a lot of traction, I think, in the UK. Uh, you write that far-right is weaponising a decade-long housing and homelessness crisis that afflicts the entire country and has placed thousands of people in a state of chronic stress and, and fear. Are you saying that government policy uh, or the failure failure around policies has emboldened far-right sentiment in this country? Absolutely. It has created the situation, social situation, whereby, um, and I don't say these things lightly now, um, that the level of homelessness, the level of housing despair um, that people are suffering is people are deeply, deeply hurt, deeply excluded, mm. traumatised, um, and feel very hopeless. And in that situation, we have the rise of a group of very nasty, far-right people whipping up that um, exclusion, concern, real housing exclusion, and blaming migrants um, and immigrants and asylum seekers. And unfortunately, we saw it this week um, where the government said that Ireland had no emergency accommodation for asylum seekers. It handed out tents. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a disgraceful thing to do when we have thousands of empty buildings in this country. I think it was, whether it was but are these, I mean, I mean what we hear from government is, you know, they're trying to turn around that temporary accommodation as quickly as is possible. Um, you know, you're talking about converting office blocks and, you know, turning around accommodation that actually wouldn't be, you know, general housing stock. Are you telling me that we couldn't find accommodation for 100 people who arrived this week? I don't believe it. We can see them in every town and country, any every town um, and city across this country. There's derelict buildings. We have 15% of our offices are vacant. Okay. And the reason, I, I want to make this point, that I think that I don't blame government for causing the rise of the far right. The rise of the far right is because of individuals who are whipping up this sentiment and, and racism, but they are feeding into and, um, you know, they're gaining an audience amongst a lot of people who are really excluded um, who have been completely let down and are homeless okay. or are in housing exclusion. All right. Well, what do you say to what Rory had to say there, Barry, that you know, accommodation could be found and by making a big point around this, essentially the government saying we are at capacity or Ireland is full, um, that this does not help the situation. Indeed, it inflames it. We, this country has been hugely generous um, as a state and as a society and as a people since, for example, the war in Ukraine began. Up to 100,000 people have sought refuge here and have been given refuge here and have been accommodated here. But obviously, that creates its own difficulties and constraints and puts pressure on government in the, the provision of accommodation and the affordability of that intake. And many of those in recent times are coming from what they call second countries, where they have gone to an EU country and then come here. So the offering had to be altered to try and, try and arrest that because of the issues associated with accommodation. And 
you know, the, the, the point Rory makes then is that there is available, every effort is being made by state and the mm. private sector to find accommodation that would be suitable in the type okay. that is required to meet the, the key, needs of those and people. And the key point being in made... Every I have them in... There, there, there's accommodation centres in almost in four or five, six towns in County Offaly, as there are throughout the country. And they have got a welcome in, in most cases, but some people, uh, quite to the contrary, do not want to welcome them and do right. wish to take advantage okay. of the difficulties associated with housing where progress has been made... Is it solved? No. Is it at the rate we want to address it? Of course it's not, but a lot of progress is being made. We're turning the corner, but there are elements of society who would use that to yeah, their so benefit, to their benefit what Rory is and saying to their gain. That it is, the housing crisis is a gift for those wishing to stir a certain agenda. Oh, oh there's no doubt they, they, would, they would use any tentacle that allows them uh, an avenue to create the sort of instability that they would thrive on. But, I mean, but also you know, that there's obviously government and, and failure there, look, housing policy. Look, look, the housing issue was the biggest issue this government would have faced on its, when it came into office. Um, and as I said to you, much progress okay. has been made. Not enough, uh, not nearly enough, but a lot of progress nonetheless that we can point to. And a lot of assistance and help to different cohorts to address different manners by which you help and assist with, uh, right. to buy the first-time buyers. With, with, with derelict buildings, as you mentioned, up to 70,000 available to, to, to renovate those for homes and so forth. Okay. I know, it would reduce the development and charges for new builds and so okay. forth. And I just, all look, I all just contributing get... and all making progress. Yeah. Not enough. But yes, of course people will take advantage of any crisis to, 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 to suit their own end. All but right. the majority of those, you know, you talk about the, the far right in, 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 in the Netherlands. Have they formed a government? No. Will they form a government? No, because other parties won't work with them. All right. OK, Keen. just to bring you in on this, um, uh, because the government have always been very keen to, you know, separate housing crisis from, you know, the, the, the uh, migration to this country. Um, do you believe our housing policy is now dictating our immigration policy? I, I think the, the issue here is, I mean, as Rory says, there is a lot of uh, anger, despair from people who are excluded on housing. There's no question that's giving uh, rise to people being alienated uh, in society. It, like, it's very difficult. If you cannot get your housing need and you cannot meet your housing need, you can't get on in life in anything that you want to do, if that's forming a family, if that's in terms of education, in terms of you know, jobs, employment, your career... And it is like, they're, you know, just people in their late 20s into their 30s, even into their 40s, still mm. living in, in childhood bedrooms. So that is holding them back. And that is definitely creating an issue. But the, I mean, one of the things here is that the, you know, you know migrants being blamed for the housing crisis, I think is completely wrong. Mm. In fact, actually migrants are part of the solution on the housing crisis. You walk onto any large building site anywhere in the country and who is building homes on those large building sites? It's it's migrant skilled migrant construction workers that we you know, 20 desperately of our workforce that we across the side. Yeah, and yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's in every sector. You know, in right. nursing homes, care assistance, everywhere, you, everywhere you go, we're massively reliant on migrants, especially on construction sites. You know, so if we didn't have skilled construction uh, workers, migrant workers. Our, our housing output, which isn't enough, so by how, the way, how do you believe the government? Actually, how do you believe the government has handled this, seen. given what Rory, what Rory is stating about, you know, this this gift to far right fearmongers, as he, as he calls them? 
Look, I don't think it's been handled handled well. Uh, the housing was the biggest issue when this government got into office and still the biggest issue. I, I mean, homelessness has only increased since this government has gotten I into it. I know, but the facilities office. available for the homeless, unfortunately, is 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 there and is being put there and is 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 there in a temporary nature. We hope that temporary but, nature but te- reduces. But, but, but temporary, I mean, you can set a target. You can set a target, what, 30,000 30, this year that will be exceeded. You know, it's... But everyone, everyone in the country says the housing targets are too low. Even government ministers say it's too low. So, so congratulating yourselves and meeting a target that everyone knows is too low. I said at the beginning, is it solved? No, it's not. Has progress been made? Yes, it has. Can more be made? Of course it can. Homelessness is only increasing. That's not progress. Rents are at record levels. That's not progress. Home ownership at its lowest level in more than 50 no, years. No, That's no, not that progress. You're wrong on home ownership. You're wrong on home ownership. You're wrong on recent census, trends in home ownership. data shows it's decreased each Check time. the facts now in relation to what, what first-time buyers have come into the market. And home ownership has decreased to its lowest level for, in over 50 years, no, according no, to the no, census. All right, Sarah, uh, just to bring you in on this. I mean, is this becoming, look, coming more of a conversation? Is it something that... I, I think that TDs can probably expect on the doorsteps. Is it something they're conscious of as we're coming into election time? We're talking European elections and otherwise. Well, it absolutely will be if it's, you know, someone like me or in their late 20s, early 30s opening the door and they're saying, oh, well, this is actually my parents' house and I'm living in my childhood bedroom. It absolutely will be the case. Um, I think that it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a motive for a lot of people for many reasons. Um, there's vast research into, which is obviously a very extreme example of homelessness and the psychological effect of not having a space that you can call your own. And now obviously that the two are non-comparable, living in your childhood bedroom and living in emergency accommodation, they are non-comparable. But I think there has to be probably something to be said for the psychological effect in all of this, mm-hmm. you know, particularly if you are someone who might be in your early, mid-20s and you see that, you know, 83% of renters are under the age of 45, over half are under the age of 34. People are having families and rented accommodation, but still almost everyone is saying that they'd like to buy a home. And, you know, like increasingly in the RTB survey that came out today, people were saying, well, would you buy? Would you keep renting? And more and more people are saying, I don't know, because I might just... I might just leave because it doesn't feel like I have somewhere that I can call my own here. Okay, um, I just want to move on to something else before we come to a break, um, Barry Cowan, and that's on Robert Troy. SIPO has decided to proceed with an investigation. Um, That's the Standard and Public Office Commission over allegations that he broke the law by failing um, to declare property. What's your reaction to that decision by the state's ethics watchdog? The state's state's ethics watchdog has a a job and a duty to investigate complaints. It is in the process of doing that. It has made a, in, in this instance, it is going to proceed further with it. We can only await their deliberations and there's no more that can be said by me or anybody else on the matter. And now is there talk about it in Fianna Fáil? What's been, what's no, been the no, response say, internally you, on it? No, as I said to you, look, the, 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 the complaint was made, SIPA was asked to investigate it. They've made an initial uh, investigation and they said they're going to broaden that and they'll report back when they have that complete, whether there's anything to report or not. Okay, there the, we... the record has been corrected from Robert Troy's perspective in relation to his obligations. All right, OK. Uh, well, SIPA will proceed with its investigation on that. We will leave that there. Coming up after the break, we'll get reaction to the COP climate deal. Do stay with us.
Welcome back. A deal was finally reached at the UN Climate Summit in Dubai. For the very first time, the countries of the world have agreed to move away from fossil fuels. It was quickly hailed by leaders as an historic consensus between nations. My colleagues and friends, you did step up. You showed flexibility and you put common interest ahead of self-interest. We have the basis to make transformational change happen. Let us finish what we have started. Let us unite, act, and now deliver. Time to act and deliver. Well, I'm joined now via Skype by Jennifer Salmon, who is a climate youth delegate for Ireland and was in Dubai at the COP28 summit. Thanks for joining us on the programme tonight, Jennifer. Um, you were there. What's your reaction to this agreement that was reached after many days of wrangling? I mean, it is the first UN climate change conference that has formally recognised a transition away from fossil fuels. But I think the language that a lot of people would have been happier with is phase out instead of a transition away from fossil fuels. Um, so I think definitely it's a good start, but it's really kind of disappointing that it wasn't more urgent. Okay, what's the difference, do you think, in that language there, um, calling for this transition away to a phasing out? What do you see as the big difference? I mean, the big difference is if it was kind of recognised that there would be a phase out, then that would be kind of recognition of the beginning of the end of fossil fuels, whereas this is more from the beginning to kind of start thinking about changing and maybe doing something differently. So I think it definitely is a lack of decisions, but then, you know, it is hard to get every country to agree to something. So it is a good start, but just definitely there could be more there. Um, I mean, uh, the question is, is it better to have a flawed deal than no deal at all? I guess in, in, in one way, this was unprecedented that fossil fuels was even mentioned um, in, in coming to an agreement at a COP summit. From that point of view, um, do you believe that that should be, you know, marked and, and strongly welcomed? Yeah, it's absolutely welcomed. But I think there was a lot of issues with, especially at the end, um, the alliance of small island states weren't even in the room when the decision was gavelled. So for climate justice and the just transition that leaves no one behind, there certainly needs to be everybody in the room when the decision is happening. So, you know, it's it's definitely marked a very welcome transition away from fossil fuels, but we need to really have a phase out, not a transition away. But it's a good start to get to that phase out. So, you know, at COP27, we had the loss and damage fund created and then at COP28, that fund get mobilised. So I'm hoping for COP29. Um, but, you know, a year away is not urgent enough. So hopefully we'll, we'll get there for COP29. But, you know, it really could have been this year. All right. OK, um, Jennifer, thank you for that. Thank you for your take, um, because it's important, I suppose, as someone who was over there to see really what was happening behind the scenes or, or not happening, where the push and pull is with all of this. Um, but it strikes me, and I think it was mentioned there about the fund and, you know, affordability and those that, who have least are suffering most when it comes to this climate disaster, Rory. Um, your take on this about around austerity and, you know, where mm. the green story comes in to that. Mm. It's hard to do it. You don't have much money. It's hard to do it as well if the people who are causing all the environmental dam damage are the wealthiest in the world. Absolutely. You know, there's a huge... Um, social policy, you know, social justice aspect to the transition. And the, the danger is that without 
addressing those inequalities, you won't get public support for the changes that are needed. And also it's deeply unequal in terms of, you know, we're saying, you know, people have to make all these adjustments. And yet, as you've said, you know, 90% of emissions are produced by fossil fuel um, and industry. And then we look at hypocrisy like big countries, you know, like the US and others who are spending billions on expanding, you know, weapons industries, you know, been launched in places like Gaza. We're seeing destruction of population, the Mm. environment. And this is really important because we have to question our economies. You know, we're producing weapons, we're producing, you know, huge amount of products. The whole nature of capitalism, the economy, is about producing more and more. Yet we live in this finite planet, this finite world. And so we have to question... All of this is at odds with what I suppose is trying to be achieved at the likes of COP28. But you can bring it down to Ireland, for example, and, you know, renewable energy. And, you know, the question is things like, why isn't everyone, every person who has a home, you know, or, of course, the whole issue of the housing crisis as well, but been supported and funded to put a solar panel on the roof and gaining from that rather than it just being able, those who can afford the EV car, those who can afford to retrofit their home benefit, everyone should benefit from this. All right, because that's the big challenge, isn't it, really, for government as well, is to get everyone on board with this as well, um, Barry. We do have these targets. We have five-year carbon budgets. We have sectoral um, emissions ceilings. All of these are, are falling back. They're not reaching where they should be. So we have a job of work to go before we get to, I think, these points of, you know, carbon uh, net zero and even the emission targets that we've set ourselves for uh, 2030. Do you need to make it more appealing to people and get everyone on board? Yes, of course. Um, but if I could deal with the, the first issue relates to COP and what was agreed uh, and what was committed to. And thankfully, agreement has been reached, which was the the, 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 the whole idea, and we couldn't have it would have been an absolute failure for it to for the for for nothing to emanate from it. And in the first instance, this has been said in those countries that are most impacted by climate change, the smaller countries, the weaker mm. countries, you know, and a, a loss and damage fund has been established, and you know, Ireland has committed fifty million to it initially. Secondly, the whole thing about phase out versus transition away, I think they're they're similar. Um, you know, I, I, I do accept uh, transition is the road to travel because it involves assistance. It, it involves um, help and assistance towards that taking place and to you fund, fund alternatives the just if transi- necessary. Just transition, if I you do, like, rather I do. than the phase out. What Jennifer was saying is, well, that's the beginning of the end. I do now, well, and, and, and you know, in, 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 in our instance, in the Midlands, for example. You know, we accelerated decarbonisation without the transition. The transition came after mm. and has proved difficult in the, in, in the meantime. But, um, you know, from our perspective still, we have coal on the grid, we have uh, yeah. diesel on the grid, and we have, you know, we seek to electrify everything, yet we don't have the security to right. generate everything. And that's why the potential we have offshore, especially as a pan-European project, can deliver to the Midlands, to the, to the, to the regions... Uh, on a first call on that electricity, but also can deliver 300 billion to the economy and allow and allow right. a pan-European project. Uh, um, Keen, your thought on this: um, We have Ireland has slipped six places. We're now 43rd out of 63 for climate protection. So we have spoken strongly as countries uh, who, who would favour um, moving swiftly on, on on carbon. But is the reality playing out on the ground um, on our approach to the climate question? Unfortunately not. There isn't enough urgency on it and we're failing to meet any of our targets on climate and there's a huge amount that could be done. But instead, so far, the grants have been 
skew towards people who have some resources and are able to match them, but they're not including, you know, every section of the population. And I would, you know, every week I'd be talking to people on lower incomes, mm. pensioners, who'd be saying, well, we want to be able to retrofit. We want, we want to be able to bring our, you know, heating bills down, uh, live in more, basis. live in more comfortable homes. And but they're not able to, they're, they're not able to, they're not able to access the grants the same way that people on, on higher incomes are, are able to. So there is that There's lack of, there is that lack of, and, yeah, and if, you're on a, if you're on a low fixed income and a pension, that, that's no good, no good. There, there, that's there, no, is, there that's is a no, scheme of insulation no, for those on pensions yeah, and those on receipts no, of social welfare. Yeah, there is actually. And that's, but they haven't been okay. working to date and we haven't been getting delivery, right. delivery on them. Okay, well that row will continue. Um, there we will leave it for now. My thanks to all our panel tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care. <laughs>